Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel 9? All things work together. Now, when we last left our narrative, the Israelites... The elders had come to Samuel, who was by then an old man, and whose sons were not righteous, and they did not walk the path that Samuel walked. And so they came and said, we want a king like the, rest, like the other nations. You can only imagine how Yahweh felt about that and how Samuel, of course, and Yahweh said to Samuel, they didn't reject you. They rejected me from being king over them. Now, the last time, 20 years earlier, but in our, in our study of 1 Samuel, they, they had a problem. They did it God's way. The first time with the Philistines, they did it their way. They were utterly, miserably defeated. Then with Samuel there doing it God's way, they didn't have to fight. God took care of it, sent a thunder, a noise, a thunder, and the Philistines were scared and ran, didn't fight. So you wonder why... They just don't stay with the word of God and humbly follow the Lord. Thanking him for his care and his, his grace, his, his covenant loyalty, his mercy, his loving kindness. But they didn't do that. They utterly wanted they saw problems that didn't exist really and wanted man-centered solutions rather than God-centered solutions. I think, I think about the drift of the church, especially in the United States of, of America, because so many times in the contemporary era, we see those who are supposed to be the people of God choosing fashion over faithfulness. They, they, choose, uh, they, they choose to pursue their feelings rather than faithfulness. This is what they were doing here in this day. They wanted to be like everybody else. We want a king like the rest of the nations. We want a celebrity. Okay, so here's how God judged them. If you recall from our last study, God said, and this was his judgment upon them. Let them have what they want. Give it to them. And it's almost like if you, read the, if you read the text, it's almost like Samuel said, excuse me. And God said, 
Let them have it. Give them what they want. So that brings us then to this story, which continues to tell us not the story of Israel, but the story of God and his sovereign rule over his people. Even when we don't want God to be king, he is still king. He's not going to surrender his sovereignty just because there are elders of, of, of a group, there's a bunch within a group that say, we want to be like the rest of the world. All things work together. God's never caught off guard. He has a purpose. He has a plan. So let's look at this. First of all, a place to work. Things, things start out rather routinely. We're going to see that it's just another day in the life of Kish and his household. All right, let's look at this. Now, there was a man. Now, okay. Last time we saw something like that, it was Samuel. So this is a... Chriswell, W.A. Chriswell would say this is a watershed moment in biblical history and Bible study. Because the people of God, when this chapter is, when this narrative, it'll, it'll go beyond this chapter, but when this narrative, this whole narrative is over, the people of God will have moved from a theocracy to a kingdom. Instead of having judges whom God would raise up at strategic points of time, they would have a king from then on. So now there was a man of Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin. His name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite man, a mighty man of power. So he had a lot of stuff. And he had a son whose name was Saul, Shaul, Saul. Now, he was young and handsome. There being no one of the sons of Israel more handsome than Saul. Boy, that's, that's a pretty big statement. Now, this is the Holy Spirit of God saying this through Samuel. So this was, this was a mighty nice looking man. You know, he's best looking man, at least in that part of the world. Not just that, he was easy to see. Look at this. It says, from his shoulders and upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So you could be in a big crowd in a village somewhere. But there in the middle of the crowd was a guy more handsome than anybody in the world. And everybody could see him. 
because he was so tall. Tall. Here is the tabloid guy. His face, if it had been like it is today, would have been on all of those magazines and things when you're waiting in line to pay your grocery bill. <laughs> saw this, saw that. Naturally, with that kind of description, it would seem that he could command an adoring crowd, doesn't it? So this guy is being set up to be the most likely choice for the people as their king. I learned a long time ago. I'm not going to say it. Never mind. It had something to do with looks and worthiness, but I'm not going to say it. But I still learned it a long time ago. Now, just a guy, but a guy who is a looker. Man, he would get the glances. I guess young girls, I don't know if they still say this or not, that he's hot. Do they still say that? I don't know what to say now. I probably don't want to know. Now, the story continues. Kish had a big investment in donkeys. Donkeys were legal tender in that day, and he had a bunch of them, obviously. So, when it says he was a great man of power, that meant that he had a lot of donkeys. Donkeys were valuable to the culture of that day and of those people. But look what happens. He gets up one morning and his donkeys were gone. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young servants and arise and go seek <laughs> the donkeys. Okay, the Hebrew word for the servant is a word that describes a youth. Early teens, teenager, the young, young man. So this young servant is to go with Saul. He passed through. Mount Ephraim. <laughs> we, have a, we have a donkey in the pasture behind us with those black Angus cattle. And he hadn't been there too long. I'm not real, I'm not real familiar with donkeys, I don't think. And uh, I had the dog out in the yard one night and I thought somebody was being severely assaulted, screaming their heads off. I ran in the house, put the dogs up, ran back out fully armed. 
And I didn't hear the second part of the cry. The second part of the cry, it goes, and it goes, it has an inhale. I mean, it was loud. The loudest thing. I got to think about that. It was awful. You've heard it since then. And it's just unnerving. Every time you hear that first part of the yell, which is always longer than the, uh, the, in, the inhale, it, it's just unnerving. You get to look and it's just automatic. You don't, and it, I, I'm about, but now see what's going to happen is somebody's going to be screaming and crying for help. And I'm going, well, that donkey's at it again. So this donkey was screaming. Now this brings me to my point. He's going all over the place. How do you call a donkey? (laughs) Did anybody here ever grow up when you get up in the morning watching Country Boy Eddie? Anybody? All right. Can you make his, can you do, something like that. But I can tell you. A real donkey cries a lot worse. A bray or whatever it is, a lot worse than that. So I'm studying this and I'm thinking, now he's handsome and he's head and shoulders above everybody else, but he's gonna, he ain't going to look so cool if he's out there yelling like a donkey. Maybe that's why he took the servant with him. So that's the gospel according to Charles. You can tell you to leave it. He's going all over the place. Can you see? Looking for daddy's donkeys. Passed through Mount Ephraim, passed through the land of Shalisha, and they didn't find them. They passed through the land of Sha'alam. They were not there. He passed through the land of Benjamin, and they did not find them. Now, let me tell you something. You just, you know, reading Steve, thinking, ah, oh, yada, yada, yada. He goes here, he goes there, he can't find his donkeys. But this is a very important thing to the story. It is, it is a statement, and we're going to see this as we get through the story. It is, it is a statement to how God is controlling this whole thing. Now, you would think Saul is just out there with his servant looking for donkeys. And he passes through these places and probably knew some people there. I don't know. Have you seen my daddy's donkeys? How hard is it to lose a bunch of donkeys? I don't know. But they couldn't find them. That's unusual. You would think this rich man, and the implication is to me that he had a bunch of them. Can't find any of them anywhere. Go all over the place. And you can't find them. Now, some of us have been to that part of the world. And there are places that you can get where you can see a long way, you know. Look what he says, Mount Ephraim. Couldn't see them from there. Didn't hear them. Oh, they'll make, they'll make a noise if you just sit down long enough and wait to hear them. They'll sound off, but he couldn't find them, couldn't hear them. No sound of them, no sight of them. But God is in control. This just seems like a, a kind of a, you know, oh, he's just giving us some detail. No, no, no. This is the hand of God. The hand of God. So this thing starts out like, okay, here's a guy. 
He's tall. He's handsome. He's strikingly handsome. His daddy lost his donkeys and he sends him and a young servant out. Go find my donkeys. And so they're going all over the place looking for donkeys. You think, well, you know, this is just the father tells his son, I tr- you know, these things are valuable. This is, I- I've lost my whole investment here. So it's your responsibility to find them, bring them back. Just seems like a, just seems like a routine day that has a little bit of a crisis to it, namely losing the donkeys. But otherwise, it's all just routine. Get up, donkey's gone, send the son out with the servant. And they can't find him, go all over the place, all over the place. Throughout the land of Benjamin. And they did not find them. Well, that was a place to work, looking for the donkeys. Now there is a plan to work. Okay. The young servant, at least from our perspective here, the young servant now becomes a major player. As a matter of fact, he begins to just drive the whole story. Otherwise, insignificant, young, teenage kid, servant, one of many, insignificant otherwise. Let me tell you something. In the eyes of God, there are no minor characters. Never. So the servant has a plan that he's going to use. He's going to put his plan to work. It just kind of works out for this. He just have another, the young servant's going to show himself to be a godly young man. All right, let's look at it. When they'd come into the land of Zuf, now how is it they come to the, now understand this is in the region of Samuel. This is his ancestral home. And it's, Something's going to be happening. But they just happened to be going there and they just wound up in the land of Zuth. And Saul said to his young servant who was with him, come, let us go back home. Lest my father cease to worry about the donkeys and start worrying about us. And the young servant said, wait a minute. There's a man of God in this city. Okay, here's his concern. We're going to find in the narrative that Saul is not a spiritual man. He's not a religious guy. The servant is. Saul is not. Doesn't care anything about the word of God. Doesn't care anything about hearing the man of God. He's focused on the donkeys and that's it. But notice here. Happened to go to the land of Zuf. Happens to be that the man of God is there. A man of God is in this city. He's held in high esteem. Everything that he says comes to pass. Now let us go there. Perhaps he will tell us our way upon which we have gone. Not just just help us find the donkeys is from the heart of the servant. The heart of the servant is 
He'll bless our hearts. He'll give to us the word of God. And Saul said to his servant, look, what are we going to give this man? We've used up our bread. We don't have anything to give this man. But it just so happens. Now Saul, he's the rich guy's son. He doesn't have anything left. But it just so happens that this young servant had a $5 bill in his pocket. He says to Saul, look, I have a fourth of a shekel of silver. I'll give this to the man of God that he may tell us our way. You don't have to worry about it, Saul. I want you to hear the man of God. We need to hear the word of God. We need to know the way that we should travel. All right, let's put this together so far. Just so happens a bunch of donkeys were lost. Just so happens that they go all over the place and can't even hear them, much less see them. Can't find them. Just so happens that they wind up in Samuel's ancestral land where he happened to be that day. Just so happens. Just so happens that Saul is not real interested in this and uses the excuse that he can't put anything in the offering plate. But it just so happens that the young servant had half a shekel of silver in his pocket and said, I will give this to the man of God that he may give to us the word of God, put us on our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he would say it like this, come and let us go to the seer. For he who is called a prophet today was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his young servant, well said, come, let us go. So Saul says, ah, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to sneak me into the, into the, into the revival service here and listen to the word of God. I say, okay, I'll go along with this. Come on, if it means that much to you, come on. Well said, come let us go. And they went to the city where the man of God was. Saul had his place to work. The young servant had his plan to work. God always has his purpose at work. Okay, so let's keep going here. As they were going up the ascent to the city, hey, here were some chicks, right? Young girls. Now, what did we learn about Saul at the beginning of this story? Nobody was better looking than Saul. So what would you think? Well, you'd think that they would giggle and sit down at the well and carry on with one another. No. 
Because it just so happens that these are godly girls. They had a greater interest in the man of God giving the word of God to people of God who were seeking it than they had in sitting down and shooting the breeze with the most handsome man in the world. So here's how the story goes. Found young maidens coming out to draw water and they said to them, is the seer here? Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, he is. Behold, he is before you. If you'll hurry. You see, there's an urgency in the voice of these young girls. You better hurry up. He's come to the city. The people will have the sacrifice of the day in the high place. And what's that high place called? Well, it has something to do with roll tide. <laughs> you see, it's right there. It's right there. Okay. Now, this sense of urgency just so happens that they were there just at the time that they came into the city and they had the right information and it just so happens that it was young girls who were not interested in hanging out with the most handsome guy in the world. Just so happens. When you come to the city, straightway you'll find him before he ascends to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes. For he'll bless the sacrifice and afterwards the invited guests will eat. Now go up, hurry, you'll find him. And they went up to the city. As they were coming into the midst of the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to ascend the high place. Now Yahweh, now look at this. Now Yahweh had revealed to Samuel the day before, one day before that Saul was coming. And Yahweh said to Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I'll send you a young man from the land of Benjamin. And you'll anoint him to be the ruler of my people, Israel. And he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people, for their cry has come to me. The people didn't know they were crying like this, crying out, but God knew. They didn't know that the Philistines were up to something, but God knew. And God knew that at this point in time, as part of his purpose to teach them the lesson, the greater lesson, he would mingle mercy with his judgment. His judgment was to let them have the man that they wanted. And we all know how this guy ends up. He kills himself. That's a spoiler, I guess but he falls on his own sword. Before that, he goes to a witch. It's funny to me. He knew more about superstition than he did about who a prophet was, the word of God. So God is going to mix his mercy and his judgment. 
He's going to take care of his people in the way that he will, knowing that he must spare them. And he will use the guy, Saul, in his work to save and deliver his people from the Philistines. God already knew all of this. See what he said to Samuel the day before? I, I know what my people are crying. They're crying out. They're afraid of the Philistines. They don't realize that they're as upset as they are, but I know. And I know where this is headed. And I'm going to use Saul to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, now can you see the day before Yahweh said to Samuel, guy from Benjamin's coming. Now what was happening the day before? Saul and his young servant were wandering around making their way unknowingly to the place where Samuel was going to be. And all Samuel had to do was wait for him. So, God is still king even when we don't want him to be king. Samuel saw Saul. Pretty easy to see him, head and shoulders above everybody else. Yahweh said to him, Behold the man about whom I said to you, this one will rule over my people. God said to Samuel, that's him. Saul approached Samuel inside the gate and said, Tell me now, which is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. And you're going to eat with me today and I'll send you away in the morning and all that is on your mind, I'll tell you. Now what's on Saul's mind? Saul's mind is filled with a concern of the whereabouts of his daddy's donkeys. That's all he's worried about. And concerning the donkeys which are lost to you. Now how did he know that, you know, And you have sought them as of today, three days. Do not take them to heart, for they have been found. And to whom does all that is desirable in Israel belong? Is it not to you and to your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of Benjamin? Now why have you spoken to me like this? Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the chamber. And he gave them a place at the head of the invited guests. And there were about 30 men who had been invited. Saul and his servant are placed at the head of the table. Samuel said to the cook, give the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, keep it with you. He already had him a plate fixed. <laughs> he knew it was coming. And the cook raised up the thigh and that which was upon it and placed it before Saul, whereupon he said, behold, that which has been reserved, place it before you and eat, because for the appointed time it is reserved for you. 
by saying, I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel on that day. And they descended from the high place to the city and he spoke with Saul on the roof. They arose early and it was at dawn and Samuel called Saul to the roof saying, Arise and I shall escort you. And Saul arose and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, into the street. As they were going down at the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the youth to go on ahead of us. And he went ahead. And you stand still at this time. And I shall let you hear the word of God. There are no minor characters. There is no happenstance. And there are no random occurrences. Because God is God and he looks after his people even, <laughs> even when they are so rebellious and can't. God has made a covenant with those people. He's not going to turn them loose. And if they're going to want a king, it's going to be the king that God will send to them, even though they don't realize that. So here, you know, now you know the story. When they see him, they say, man, this is the guy. There's nobody like him. And it'll work out well for a while for them. We'll see as the story develops. The story of Saul who becomes king. But the important thing to note is that this is a major turning point in the story of God's people. And it's also, and there, it also places an exclamation point to the statement that all things work together as God sees fit. Can't escape it. Well, I'll stop there. We'll have our deacon prayer time.